You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Jtown. In this series, we're following Jesus as he calls us to take on his yoke so that we might experience true flourishing. If you've got a Bible, I encourage you to get to grab one. Go to Matthew chapter 8. Uh, Matthew's the first, um, first book in the New Testament, kind of in the middle of your Bible, kind of go right a little bit. And so if you're just joining us, we are uh, working through the, the Gospel of Matthew over about a two-year period. We're almost uh, close to a, a, almost a year in. By the end of this year, we'll be in a year or so. Uh, and today, we are continuing kind of like in a couple chapters here, chapter 8 and 9, uh, where Matthew and his creative way of writing has taken like nine different kind of healing stories and helping us see something about the very nature and character of who Jesus is. And so if if you've got your own Bible, you can can see these nine stories by their headings. Like we know that the headings are not inspired, you know, so those were added later uh, to help us kind of make sense of it. But they were all one unit when Matthew uh, first wrote those. And so so there are three different stories. Looked at three of them last week. Encourage you to go back and listen if you haven't got a chance. We'll look at two of, of three this today. There's three stories in this one, but one's not a miracle story. Um, and then there's a few more we'll look at uh, next week. So, yeah, we're just trying to answer the question of, like, who is this Jesus? You know, what kind of person is he? What's his character? And, and hopefully we'll unpack that a little bit more this morning. All right? So if you're able, I encourage you to stand with me in honor of reading God's word. So starting in verse 18, and then we'll read all the way down to the end of the chapter. So when Jesus saw a large crowd uh, around him, he gave the order to all, or gave the order to go on the other side of the sea, and all those who are introverts here gave a hearty amen because Jesus is like you also large crowds stress him out and so I've got to get away so amen for that maybe just one or two people can laugh I don't know we got we got to work on this come on now it's 11 o'clock everybody's awake let's do this Uh, verse 19 a scribe approached him and said teacher I will follow you wherever you go and Jesus told him foxes have dens and the birds of the sky have nests but the son of man has no place to lay his head Lord Another of his disciples said, first, let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. As he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a violent storm arose on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by waves. But Jesus kept sleeping. So the disciples came and woke him up and said, Lord, save us. We are going to die. And that's kind of what they did, probably a little bit more. That's why there's explanation points in our translation, right? And he said to them, why are you afraid, you of little faith? And then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? What kind of human being is this? That even the winds and the sea Obey him. And when he had come to the other side, to the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him as they came out of the tombs, and they were so violent that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they shouted, What do you have to do with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? A long way off, 
from them a large herd of pigs was feeding. And if, if you drive us out, the demons begged him, send us into the pigs. Go, Jesus told them. And so when they had come out, they entered the pigs. The whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the water. And then the men who tended, the, tended them fled. They went into the city and reported everything, especially what had happened to those who were demon-possessed. At that, the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, once again, we, we uh, come to you as a, um, a body who wants to humble ourselves before you and before your word. And so, God, we ask for your help again. May you teach us. May you show us um, how wonderful and beautiful and amazing Jesus is and how worthy he is of our worship and our allegiance and to give our lives entirely to him. So, God, I just pray that you would surprise us this morning as we work through this passage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So a few years ago, I think Joseph, he's, my, he's 18 now, he's a senior in high school. I, I think, and I didn't, we didn't rehearse this together, not rehearse, talk about it before I came up here and spoke about this. Uh, kind of like came to me in the 9 o'clock, and so I asked for forgiveness before I asked for, for, for permission. But I think he was probably in the 4th or 5th grade, and we went to Kings Island. So he was around 10 or 11 years old, and, and even in this time, Joseph was pretty tall for his age, so he, he's, you know, about 6'1 right now, and, and weighs all of like 150 pounds, and that's like soaking wet. Uh, so he's very long, and that was the case even when he was in the fourth or fifth grade. I mean, he was just a long, lanky little guy, you know, and he's probably 40 pounds, and that's, that's giving him a little bit. And so um, he wanted to ride the beast. You guys been to Kings Island? Anybody rode the beast? Anybody? Raise your hand. Okay, that, that sucker is a beast. Amen, it is. And so, uh, so you know, we decided, hey, I, I was getting excited for him. said, yeah, let's do this, man. So, um, so he definitely meets the, the height limit. So, you know, you got the little chipmunk or whatever that thing was. He's like right there. He's like way above that. But I do think there probably needs to be like a weight. You know, you need to have some like beef to you. And I didn't really think about that until it was... It was kind of too late, to be honest with you. So we, you know, we get in it. We're kind of, I'm trying to, like, pump him up because he's pretty nervous about it, uh, you know, expectantly. So uh, so we, we get in there, and, and once you're in, you're in. There, there ain't no stopping. There's no getting out. It's like, you're in. And so uh, we get in, and we, you know, you, you go. And it, it's, it's brutal. See, like, the beast kind of comes in two halves, if you know what I'm talking about. So there's this first little deal that's pretty crazy and outlandish and then you sort of stop and you kind of trek up another hill and you and you, if you've never ridden it before you kind of think okay now we're done and I remember oh man bless his heart I feel so bad thinking about it. I feel like such a horrible parent thinking about this scene because I can remember I remember looking over at him and dude he was he was terrified and he looked at me and said dad is it over and I go Nobody, it's going to get a little worse. <laughs> so, so, oh, and if you don't remember how that thing goes, it's intense, that last little bit. And I just remember, oh, man, looking over there and just seeing his little body. It just, oh, it was, it was all over the place. I, I mean, literally, I remember thinking this, God, 
please, man, may there not be something that happens to him internally because of this little trip. And, oh, it felt so horrible. And I don't think he rode a road coaster for a few years after that, which is understandably so. Bless his heart. So um, I, I tell you this story uh, because I think, um, I think the Christian life or life with God or the life of a disciple and all of those I use to synonymously because I'm just trying to use different language to help break down like ways that we come in thinking about what it means to be a Christian. So all three of those things are synonymous to me. So being a, a disciple of Christ is more like riding a roller coaster than it is being on a cruise ship. So yeah, there's a, there's a thrill and an excitement to riding a roller coaster. There really is. Once you get kind of beyond, you know, after you ride it a few times. Like, there is. There is like an adrenaline rush that comes with riding a roller coaster. And there is a part where that's true within the Christian life, but that's not what I'm necessarily emphasizing. There is a, uh, a way that riding a roller coaster can leave you very disoriented. Leave you a little unsettled. Especially as you get older. Amen? I, I can remember doing that ride with him back then. It's like, I got off there going, I don't know if I can do this anymore. This was back when I was probably in my early 40s or maybe late 30s. Like, I, my, my in, insides were going, ah! Like, they were just like, it wasn't good. And I think the, the Christian life can feel more like that. Because when you're on a cruise, I'm not against cruises. Like, I've not done one. I'd like to do one maybe. I don't know. I've kind of got mixed emotions about it sometimes when I hear the news. But when you're on a cruise, generally speaking, it's a wonderful time, right? It's, it's ease, comfort, indulgence. I mean, food all over the place. And use of the food is just amazing entertainment at your hand. I mean, and you get off of a cruise, generally speaking, if everything went well, you don't get off the cruise dis, you know, disoriented or like things inside you going, oh. No, you get off the cruise going, man, that's great. It's nice. Relax, refresh, ready to go. You don't feel like that when you get off a roller coaster. <laughs> I think that's why um, Jesus says this in Luke chapter 7. I remember preaching through this a few years ago and coming to this little passage and going, oh my gosh, I don't think I've ever seen this before in my life. And it's that passage where, um, where John the Baptist is a little confused about what's going on. So here's John the Baptist. Uh, he's in pre prison. And Jesus, if you can go home and look at the context of this, Jesus is at a beach. So John the Baptist is in prison, getting ready to probably get his head chopped off, and he knows that. Things are not going well for him, and, and this is a little disorienting for him. It's a little confusing, so much so that he sends his followers to say, look, can you go find Jesus and see if he really is the real thing? Like, I don't know. This is not what I necessarily expected. So will you go find out to make sure he really is the Messiah? Because I'm really confused. I'm a little disoriented. I'm a little unsettled because of my current circumstances. And I, I love what Jesus said, and it's, it's pretty powerful. Luke 7, verse 23 says this, Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. So blessed is the one who doesn't push eject because what they expected of me didn't happen. Blessed is the one who doesn't fall away because what they thought I would do, what they thought I would be, I'm, I'm not 
being that or doing that. That's why I say life with Jesus, the life of a disciple, can be very disorienting, disturbing, unsettling. It's more like riding a roller coaster than it is being on a cruise. And that's where I'm trying to go here. And so hopefully you felt this as we read um, these stories. There, there are three individual stories that Matthew has put together, and they feel really unrelated, don't they? It's like, what in the world is going on here? And, and there is a place where we can take each individual story and draw out implications out of each individual story. Like, it's just part of, like I said last week, there's multiple layers that we can spend time, and God can show new things here. So there's a place for us to kind of camp out in these individual stories. But at the same time, I do think Matthew's trying to... Um, to tell us something by looking at the whole and not just looking at each individual story. There's um, sort of a, a, a thread that I think Matthew's wanting us to see, and I believe um, what seems right to me here, based on what I can see, is that I think he's trying to help us see that life with Christ is going to be really disorienting. Because nothing in these stories happen as you expect them. So, so look, just in case you think I'm out of my mind, look, let's kind of walk through these stories briefly and then try to, try to land the plane to bring some you know, application in our own life. But, but look at the first story here uh, that, that covers these uh, kind of these two eager sort of would-be disciples that really want to follow Jesus, maybe. That's what kind of like you think. Look what happens. So uh, once Jesus, he's not in the boat yet. He's getting ready to get in the boat. So they can go on the other side, and there's these two guys that approach him before he gets in there. And the first one we see in verse 19 is a scribe. That's what he says here. So a scribe approached him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And then verse 20, Jesus said this to him. Foxes have dens, birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. That's it. Like, I'm wanting follow-up. You know what I'm saying? I'm wanting, like, okay, what, what do you mean? Like, 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 why are you, like, why are you so, like, pushing him off? Like, it seems like this is a, a good thing. Here's, here's a guy that's eager to follow him wherever he goes. And this guy's a scribe. He's, like, a teacher of the law. He's kind of impressive. He's in, sort of an intellect. And, you know, if you're, if you're doing kind of a, a startup, you know, that's what's going on here. This is a startup for them, you know. It's like, this would be a good guy to have on your team, Jesus, right? Like, what are, you, what are you doing here? Why are you kind of pushing this guy off? And it almost feels a little offensive. Like what I'm expecting from this, hey, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. What I'm expecting from Jesus is like, all right, well, let's kind of have a conversation about that. I know you're not really ready, but let's, let's talk about that. Let's sit down and let me kind of lay out some stuff here. No, Jesus goes, look, foxes have dens, birds have, you know, they have the nest. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I don't have a place to sleep tonight. In fact, as we see a little bit later, I'm going to take a nap on the boat because I don't have a house. So, so you think that following me is going to kind of do something for your pedigree? That's kind of what's going on here because he calls him what? He says, teacher. And if you read through the, the entirety of Matthew, no one in Jesus' inner circle ever calls Jesus teacher and Matthew other than Judas. And so what's implied 
by him saying, teacher, is that I want to be in for a little while, get what I need, and then get out. And Jesus is just going, look, that's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It is going to be costly. It is going to be difficult. It is going to be hard. If you're in this for your own personal gain, then you're going to be really disappointed. And you're not going to make it. Then, look what happens. He goes to another, another guy. Matthew says, another guy came up to him. Verse 21. Lord, this seems to be starting off pretty good. Right? He's calling him by kind of the title. Lord, you know, Lord of all, Lord. Another disciple said, first, let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me. And let the dead bury their own dead. Isn't that a little unsettling for you? I mean, if it's not unsettling, you're not reading the Scripture with honesty. It's unsettling. It's supposed to be. Matthew's trying to do this in us. Like, he's trying to disrupt us, disorient us. You know, what I'm expecting again, right? Aren't you expecting this? Hey, Jesus, man, I'm on board. I love you. See what you're doing. I want to be there. But my dad just died. I need to go bury him. Can you wait? Can you give me 10 minutes? Or can you give me a couple of hours? Can you give me a day? You go across the lake. Come back. I'll be here. I just got to go bury my dad. That seems to me to be a legitimate quest. It seems to me it's a God-honoring request, isn't it not? Isn't that one of the Ten Commandments? It's number five or six. I didn't look and see. I think it's five, right? You can correct me if I'm wrong. I, I do know them, but right now I'm forgetting them. But I do know this one. It's somewhere in there. Honor your what? Say it out loud. And one of the ways that you can honor your father in this time was to make sure they had a proper burial. And here's a man who's got a legitimate request, and Jesus goes, no. You follow me. Let the dead bury the dead. What in the world? Well, the operative word in here is, is first. The problem is not that the man wants to honor his dad, but the problem is that he wants to honor his dad first. And Jesus is saying this can't be. You can't be my disciple with conditions. Let me go do this. If, if, you, if you come to Christ, you've got to come to him without any conditions. He's not just an add-on in your life. Nothing can have first place other than him and if there's something else that has first place this is what jesus is saying you're not going to make it you're not going to make it so this is not a an easy road being a follower of jesus christ is not easy it's not for your own personal gain necessarily it'll be costly it'll be sacrificial and you need to see to it that, look, you don't come to me with conditions. You don't come to me as an add-on. No, I've got to have first priority in your life. I've got to have all your allegiance, all of your affections. I've got to be first in everything. And if that's not the case, and look, you're not going to make it. And it's almost like now Matthew moves on to the next story in order to illustrate why he's saying this. Look what he says here. In verse, uh, starting in verse 23. So as he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And look at this, look what happened. Suddenly, a violent storm arose on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. 
And so in this time, if you're familiar with the Sea of Galilee, the where, where it was kind of positioned, uh, these kind of storms like this could pop up real, real quickly. And so, you know, they can get in the boat, and it probably did. It was beautiful sky, sunny, and they get out in the middle of the lake, and boom, something can just happen all of a sudden. I mean, it's just crazy how quickly it can happen to them. And so that's what's, what's going on here. And so this is not like you got to... This is a massive body of water. It's not an ocean, but it's not a little pond. It's not Taylorsville Lake. It's not like you get in there and you can get across on the other side in like 30 minutes. No, this is like there's no motorboat. They've got sails, and this is a several-hour job here. And you've got to remember that these guys are all fishermen, which means what? They're experienced. They're seasoned. And so for Matthew to call this a violent storm, that carries some weight. And this storm is so violent, they are being swamped by the waves. And where is Jesus? Or better yet, what is Jesus doing? Look what it says here, verse 24, end of it. But Jesus kept sleeping. I love how the, the Christian Standard Bible here, the CSB, translates that because it, it implies, now I don't know if this is the case, it may, may not be, but I, I think it's there. It implies that uh, Jesus may have woke up for just like a second. Oh, it's just some storm. I'm out. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever done everything in a nap, like a long nap, and you hear like this massive crash, and you're like, you wake up for just a minute, like, I don't know what that was. That's just something I'm not going to worry about. I'm out. You know, I'm like, it, it seems like what's going on here with Jesus that he just kept sleeping and so the disciples come in verse 25 they are waking him up saying lord save us we are going to die that like this is not some hyperbole or exaggerated talk here they legitimately believe they were going to drown that's how violent this storm was and then jesus said to them this why are you afraid doesn't that bother you doesn't that unsettle you a little bit? I mean, can you, can you imagine the scene? Here they are, like, in the middle of the sea, like, waves crashing in on them. I mean, they're most likely, both of them, are the, the disciples and Jesus, are just getting soaking wet. It's like hammered by waves. Maybe they're getting knocked over. And Jesus goes, why are you afraid? Like, if, I, if I'm in that situation, I'm just going... Can you not look around? Like, seriously? Like, is, is this the best time to kind of have a little Bible lesson, Jesus, right? You know, in the midst of this massive storm, and we're getting plummeted by waves, and you're going to ask the question, why are you afraid? Well, look, Jesus, look around. And he says, you of little faith. I don't think Jesus is trying to dismiss or downplay their legitimate fear. But I do think he's trying to invite them to recognize who it is that is with them. And if we would just stop here for just a second, I think we would see that this, is, um, this scene is what disorients us a little bit. Because I think there's a connection that Matthew's wanting us to make here. So he, he, he lays out what the call of discipleship is. Don't come to me. It's going to be hard and difficult. No, you're not ready. No, 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 I've got to be first. You're not ready. Nuh-uh, don't come. And then it's almost like in this little story, he's illustrating to us why he says that you won't make it. Because the disciples followed him, and then suddenly what happened? 
a raging storm erupted. And so what, what this story is reminding us, and what I think Matthew's wanting us to make connections is this. As you follow Jesus, the bottom can drop out in your life. As you follow Jesus, waves will come, and those waves will come upon you, and you will feel like you're drowning. And it will disorient you, it will disrupt you, and you'll be going, what in the world is going on? While you're following Jesus. But the good news is this, is that it does not take great faith in order to get the help of Jesus. Did you hear that? The good news is that it doesn't take great faith or some kind of um, measurement that we got to hit before Jesus steps in and acts. Because what did Jesus say here? He says, why are you afraid, you of little faith? What did he do after that? Did he go, hey, you know what? (laughs) You guys go back. Let me continue to nap. And when you get to 50% faith, I'll act. Now, what did he do? Look what it says in verse 26. Then he got up, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was what? A great calm. And the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Great storm. Jesus speaks. And there's a great calm. So why here? Why, why are these followers of Jesus Christ amazed? And even our English translation can't really do it justice. I mean, they're, they're, they're awestruck. They're astounded. They're, they're literally speechless. They're like, what in the world? What kind of human being is this? Now, why? Why here, right? Why not when they, um, when they witnessed him touching a leper and he became clean immediately? Why weren't they amazed? Why not say they were amazed about why, why not when he spoke the word and the centurion's servant was healed instantly? Why not there? Why not when um, Jesus rolled into Peter's home and his mother-in-law was sick with a fever and he just touched her and she was healed? Why, not, why weren't they amazed there? Why, why this specific episode did they look at him and say, what kind of person is this? It's because for 3,000 years, Um, the Jews, which is all the disciples here, were steeped in a story that formed and shaped their identity. And that story is the Exodus. And every single year at Passover, they read this story of the Exodus. So this was in them. Like this was like the DNA that made them. They were making connections and cylinders were firing in all kinds of places that wouldn't happen to us. Because in that story of the Exodus where, Jesus, where God comes and rescues the nation out of Israel out of Egypt, the climax of that is when they are kind of trapped. So they got Pharaoh's army coming at them. Here's the nation of Israel. Pharaoh's army's coming at them to kill them. And then here's a big massive body of water, the Red Sea. And they're right in between. And look what Exodus 14 tells us here, and I want you to see there's connections here that Matthew is intentionally making that he wants us to make. Look what he says here in verse 10. And as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians coming after them. And the Israelites were what? Terrified. Does that sound familiar? That's not coincidental. Matthew's wanting us to make connections here. 
The Israelites were terrified. And what did they do? They cried out to the Lord for help. Does that sound familiar? Yes. Matthew's wanting us to make connections here. It sounds just like the situation that the disciples were in in the boat. Verse 11. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? It was so wonderful there. We were in slavery, but amazing things were happening there. Amen? Verse, that's a sermon in and of itself, right? It's like, come on, for real? Verse 13. But Moses said to this to people, Don't be afraid. Sound familiar? Don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you must be quiet. And then verse 21 says this, Then Moses stretched out his hands over the sea, and the Lord, not Moses, the Lord did what? Drove the sea back with the powerful east wind all that night and turned the sea into dry land. Who is the one who has the unique power to calm a raging sea? It's not Moses. It's clearly stated in this text. The Lord is the one who can do that. The one true God. And then when the psalmists come back and retell this story, look what words they use in Psalm 106 verse 9. It says this, He rebuked. Sound familiar? What did Matthew say that Jesus did when he stood up? He what? He rebuked. He rebuked the Red Sea and dried it up, and he led them through the depths as through a desert. And any time that a psalmist wanted to describe the unique power of God, they would compare it to this massive power of the sea that just seemed untamable. In Psalm 89, verses 6 through 9, it says this, For who in the skies can compare with the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? God is greatly feared in the counsel of the holy ones, more awe-inspiring than all who surround Him. The Lord God of armies, who is strong like you, Lord? All these rhetorical questions. And then he goes on and says, Your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule the raging sea. When its waves surge, what happens? You still them. So when Jesus, man, I tell you guys, I wish we could just be there because sometimes we just lose how powerful of a moment this is, how stunning it was for these men to see just a normal Jewish guy. He wasn't glowing. He didn't like have a halo. He didn't have all this flowing hair. It's like, look at him. He's, no, he's just a normal Jewish man that probably wasn't very attractive. He stood up and just said, be calm. And the disciples didn't say this, oh my, do it again. That was awesome, right? They weren't like a little three-year-old when you do like a little trick and they tell you to do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. No, they watched this and as amazing as it was, all they could do was just stand still in awe because they're making connections. There's only one who can speak and calm a raging sea, and that is the unique one true God. And now all of a sudden, He's in human form. He is right with us in a boat. They don't even know what to do with that except ask the question, what kind of person is this? And Matthew doesn't give us an answer, does he? He doesn't go, well, he is the one true God of the nation of Israel. 
What does he do? He tells another story. He's wanting this to kind of, wanting us to discover this with him. Are you following me? Like he's wanting to kind of bring us on a journey here. I'm not, I'm not just want to throw out this truth in some statement. I want you to feel it with me. So he goes on to another story that seems sort of unrelated, but it's not. Look what happens. Verse 28. Here's story number three. And so when he had come to the other side, the region of the Gadarenes, these two demon-possessed men meet him as they came out of the tombs. And they were so violent that no one could pass that way. And then verse 29, then suddenly they shouted. The, the men are shouting, but the demons inside of them are the ones that are talking here. And they said this, what do you have to do with the Son of God? So catch it, because Matthew's wanting us to make connections. The disciples had no idea who this person was, but the demons did. What kind of man is this? Well, he's the Son of God. He's God in the flesh. He's God with human form. He's God with a, with a, a, with a body. That's who he is. Have you come here to torment us before the time? Like the demons get it meant there's an expiration date on their kind of like doings here. There's a, there's a limit to it. As soon as Jesus arrives on the scene is a signal to them to know that their, their end is coming because Jesus has come to destroy and conquer the evil that's behind the evil. Not just the, the outward stuff that we see, but the evil one that's behind the evil. Satan, all of his hellish crew. And these guys know it. Like it's, it's coming. He showed up on the scene. Our end has is, is got, got a number to it. And then verse 30, a long way off from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. And they said, if you drive us out, the demons begged them, send us into this herd of pigs. And then verse 32, go. It's the only words Jesus says in this little story. So when they had come out, they entered the pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the water. And the men who tended them fled. They went into the sea and reported everything, especially what had happened to those who were demon-possessed. Is that not strange? Isn't that a little bizarre? Isn't that a little, like, what in, what in the world? Like, sometimes we get hung up on these pigs, there's hundreds of pigs that just like went off the cliff and into the water. You kind of feel bad for the pigs. I feel bad for them. That's a lot of bacon. Amen? That's, that's a lot of bacon we could have there. Ham, whatever. Pork. Oh, my gosh. I'm hungry even talking about it. It's the strangest story in the world. But here, remember, guys, look, Jesus is not the one who killed the pigs. The demons did. And it's a, um, it's a visual reminder of what evil will do when it's left unchecked in your life. It's a visual, maybe evil's too strong for you. It's a visual reminder that this is what sin will do to you when you leave it unchecked. It kills and destroys. That's the goal of evil. Demonic, Satan, it kills and destroys. It is not here to give you life. Even though it's disguised, right? It's not like we don't, you know, evil's not like Friday the 13th kind of stuff, you know, even though we just said Friday the 13th just 
couple days ago, and it's the first time with the full moon, Friday the 13th, that we'll have until 2049. That's just nice little information that's not in my notes. Amen? So uh, if you didn't hear that, it's no big deal. But look, it's not like that. Evil is disguised as a, as a ray of light. Evil is disguised as something that's, that's, that's good. That's, oh, wow, this would be wonderful to jump into it. And it's almost like this is here to remind us and give us a visual picture that if you allow sin and evil to go unchecked in your life, then this is where it's going. It will kill you. It will not give you life. There is only one here that is to give you life, and his name is Jesus. Anything else will leave you wanting and bring destruction in your life. Just visualize the pigs going off the cliff and drowning in the water. That is what's going to happen to you if you left sin remain unchecked in your own life. I know it doesn't make sense here. This story seems bizarre and crazy, but the reality is this. Evil doesn't either. Sin doesn't make sense. It may make sense in the moment. You can justify it, but if you really honestly look back on you're going, this doesn't even make sense. Why in the world did I do that? And look how this story ends, verse 34. And at that, the whole town... Went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, all right, like we, you know the end, all right? But what do you expect here? I mean, what do you expect to happen here? I, I expect the whole town comes out and says, thank you, Jesus, right? Hallelujah, man, you, you rescued these guys. Oh, my goodness, this is amazing. You are so awesome, man. We just love you. John, it's so good to see you in your right mind, man. We hadn't gone fishing in so many years because you were just crazy, man. I was really scared of you, man. You, you did some weird moves on me one time, and I was like, I'm done. Joe, it's so good to see you, man. You haven't been back. With me, right? That's what you expect, right? I mean, you expect this sort of kind of like celebration. Hallelujah, you rescued these guys. Oh, my gosh, they were a terror to our city. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. But when they saw him, they begged him to what? Leave, get out. Some commentators would say that one of the reasons why they say this is because they're angry for the loss of of, of money, you know what I'm saying? Because this pigs are a money maker for them, right? And so they're just angry. Like, get out of here. You just wasted whatever dollars that we were going to use to kind of supply for our families. And there may be, um, I think there may be some truth in that, but I think there's more going on than that. Because just imagine the scene. Like, they, they approach they approach the scene, and, and like, guys, there's, there's 12 men that are sea ragged. I mean, they're drenched. They're wore out. I mean, can you just imagine? They're not like hair all dried and looking nice, change of clothes. Hey, I had a, had a little backpack. I'm good to go. You know what I'm saying? Let me, let me change. Like, they're not looking impressive. I remember a few years ago, my brother and I resealed my driveway, and it was like 95 degrees out there when we did it. It was ridiculously hot. It was like one of the most humid days in July, and after doing that for like three hours, it's the last time I ever did it too. I'm just like, I'll pay the money from now on. I'll never, ever seal a driveway. And if you do that for a living, man, God bless you. Let me have your card a little bit later so I can keep paying you for doing that. It was, I mean, I remember getting done with that. We were drenched. And there wasn't like, like, woo! There was like, oh my gosh, man. I'll never do that again. I mean, it was ridiculous. I'm imagining that's what these guys look like. 
They're exhausted. And then they show up, and, they, and then they see these two crazy guys who are now sitting at Jesus' feet having a conversation and eating with him. We know that because of the other gospel writers. I mean, how bizarre would that be? And then over to their left or right, we don't know exactly where it is, there's hundreds of ki- pigs. I almost said kids. That would be awful, right? It's like, holy cow, man, that would really change. That's disorienting, amen? Um, there's like hundreds of floating pigs. And then there's Jesus. They said leave because they encountered a power unlike anything that they had seen before. And that kind of power is terrifying, unsettling, disorienting. Jesus is not what you expect. It's not. We have a way of um, kind of building our understanding of who he is through our life experiences, through sort of reading the word, piecing it where we want it. Some of the joy of kind of going through a whole book is when we can kind of see it for who he really is. He'll be disruptive. He'll disorient you. He'll unsettle you. He's not what we expect. Each of these stories, you're going, what in the world? What in the world? So if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to understand this. It's not going to be comfortable. If you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then it's not like, hey, he's an add-on. Like you add on Costco membership to your, you know, your daily routine or you just added on nice little wheels to your car. What? No, no, he's not an, an you know, accented part to your life. Like he's your life. He's Lord. And when he's Lord, he's going to come in and make things uncomfortable. He's going to unsettle you. And so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're reading these stories as we walk through them and you feel that, then you're kind of in good company because that's what Matthew wants to do to you. He wants to unsettle you a little bit. Maybe a way to kind of end this is to ask a question. Is it dangerous to be a follower of Jesus? I mean, think about that for a second. I mean, I'm, all of us were in church. We'd answer a question. Oh, yeah. Just, just think about it. Is it dangerous to follow Jesus? Maybe it's better to say it like this. Um, it's dangerous not to. Is it dangerous to follow Christ? Yeah, it is. I mean, guys, look. Life is full of storms, amen? And it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. This is the reality of all of humanity. Life is full of storms. A wave is going to come on you and you're going to feel like you're drowning. You are. But there's no safer place to be than with Jesus. Because I'm confident of this. Even though we don't see it in the Bible, there are probably more boats out on that lake than just the disciples' boats. I know there was. But the safest boat on that lake that night was the boat with where Jesus was because he's the only one 
that can not only calm the storm, but give you the perseverance and the strength to get through it. You see, we all, we all kind of like sort of adhere to that reality. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah, I know storms are going to come. I know life's going to be really hard. I know I'm going to get drowned, and I'm all for it. Yes, yes. But when we're in it, we're kind of taken back because really what we believe and what we want is we want the chaos to be going all around us, but there's a nice smooth path for me. And then when that's not our experience, it's unsettling. And some of us go, I'm done. Is it dangerous to give your life to Jesus? You better believe it is. But the flip side is it's dangerous not to. So if you're a Christian here, my, my encouragement for you is sometimes we can, uh, sometimes we can, we can speak about this, especially that first half when it talks about, you know, the cost of being a disciple and, the giving of your life, the power, all that can just come on you in a way that feels more like a weight and a burden, depending on how you're temperamentally wired. So you can, like, like man, someone looking at your life, they can look at you, dude, you, you love Jesus, you're seeking after him, you're following him, man, you're on board, and then internally you can listen to a sermon like this and go, I'm not doing enough, I know I'm not, I'm just, like, I, I think there's probably things that are, you know, that I don't love, yeah, I, I, I want to say probably are, but, you know, from someone actually knowing your life, like, you're just kind of judging yourself in a way that's not healthy. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're always going to be negative towards you. And there's others of us in this room who are always thinking like, oh, yeah, man, I'm on it. Yeah, I'm doing all this. And in reality, ah, no, you're not. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's almost like both of us kind of need to kind of come into the middle to some extent and understand that there is a cost to following Jesus and that we as followers of Christ don't need to hear this in some kind of condemning way. But what I want to encourage you is that you bring it with like a kind of a curiosity, that, that we are comfortable. All of us in this room are really comfortable. It's easy to be a follower of Jesus in our current context. It is. We're really comfortable. And so instead of feeling bad about that and walking out here going, I'm going to do better, and then a day later, you're just doing the same deal. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just don't think that's helpful. And so what I want to encourage you as a follower of Christ is to be curious. Like, bring this before him. Say, Lord, I, I am a little disoriented. I am a little disrupted. I am a, I'm a little disturbed by what I'm hearing here. I, I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe I, I just follow you because it sort of is easy. There's no cost. Or maybe, maybe you're not really. Just bring that before him and just be curious and say, God, just help me to see and where I need to grow and, and walk with you. It, it's a journey, and Jesus is extremely patient with us. So instead of coming out here with some condemnation because I'm disrupted, I don't know, blah, 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 just be curious. What's going on in here? If you're not a Christian, then my encouragement for you, and this may not be a really good PR, but here's what Jesus would say. Yeah, there's no better life to live than the life that's lived under Christ, but it's not easy. It is costly. It is difficult. It is hard. But there's no better life to live. So come to Jesus. That's who you're supposed to be with in relationship with him. 
I'll end with this, and this may be a silly um, story, but hopefully it illustrates a little bit. Um, one of my former youth, his name was Justin. Uh, he got saved when he was a teenager. He was in high school, and we had the opportunity of leading him to the Lord. Uh, he was kind of like uh, first generation in his family. He got faith, came to faith in Christ. And he's now in his late 30s and um, at church involved and just very, very, it's just one of those things where you see God working and it's a good reminder that he's at work. He's just really humbled by that. But I remember shortly after he became a Christian, he came to me one night after church or something and he said this to me. He said, um, you know, I really hate that I'm a Christian right now. <laughs> so I said, okay, okay, what do, you, what do you mean you hate that you're a Christian? Well, I'll... Before I became a Christian, I never felt guilty about anything. I'd do all this stuff, and I never felt guilty. Now I'm a Christian, I feel guilty. It's like, I don't like that, right? And in a small way, like as a teenager, he's getting it. That being a follower of Jesus Christ is costly. But it is the best life to live. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.